you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. We really appreciate you guys tuning in. Thanks for coming by. No, no, no. Enough of this clapping. Enough of the clapping. Actually, that should have ended a long time ago. Uh, anyway, guys, uh, we have an amazing author on the show. We're going to be talking about his fresh new book that's hot off the presses. It's so hot. It's so steamy. It's got that beautiful fresh ink smell that can get you high don't do that folks uh don't do that that's not good but you know we've all been there when we were uh, i don't know elementary school between that and eating the crayons right everyone did that or was that just me i don't know 14 years of this show people are like yeah he's the guy who's eating the crayons in elementary school uh and the glue the glue is always good you know if you mixed it with the crayons you kind of got that nice flavorful taste I think that's what they call Thai food. No, I'm just kidding. No, I just lost two people in the Thai food audience. Anyway, guys, the jokes are there. Uh, but be sure to refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. There's a lot going on in the Chris Foss Show. There's the AI with podcast with Chris Foss at AIChrisFoss.com. Uh, There's, the, of course, our YouTube channels, uh, Goodreads.com, Fortune's Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortune's Chris Foss, the big LinkedIn pod, uh, newsletter as well. And I'll also refer the show to the Chris Foss uh, Leadership Podcast as well. Uh, he is the author of the amazing new book that just came out March 21st, 2023. Nathan Masters joins us on the show. He's written his latest book, Crooked, The Roaring Twenties Tale of a Corrupt Attorney General and Crusading Senator, and the birth of the American political scandal. Uh, he's going to be talking to us about his amazing book and the insights that went into it. Nathan Masters has hosted and produced the Emmy Award-winning public television series Lost L.A. since 2016. He's the author of hundreds of articles about Los Angeles history and his true-life long-form story about America's first Policewoman is currently under development at Amazon Studios as a feature film. He works at the USC libraries and lives in the mountains of Southern California with his wife. What? He doesn't like the valley? <laughs> we'll get into that. Uh, the, he's the author and television writer. Uh, 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 I'm sorry. His wife is a television writer and their two children. Uh, and and uh, I always think that's funny how they're like, uh, he has two children. People are like, well, I should listen to him and buy the book now. There you go. Uh, but this is a bio, so I read it. Uh, Crooked is his first book. Welcome to the show, Nathan. How are you? Thank you for having me, Chris. Yeah, it's a standard part of, a, of an author bio. If you have a yeah. wife or kids or, or, or husband or whatever, you got to mention them. <laughs> yeah, and I, I skipped over your wife's name because I didn't want to butcher it. Can you give me her name so we get that uh, proper from the bio? Yeah, that's that's tricky to pronounce. So it's Ksenia Melnick is her name. <laughs> Ksenia Nonick? Did yeah, I have that right? Ksenia Melnick. Ksenia Melnick. Uh, what that's a beautiful right. name. What was that origin of that? It is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a Russian name. Yeah. Uh, yeah and she wrote a, a book of um, she wrote a, a book of short stories that came out about uh, six or seven years ago about the Russian American experience and um, 
dealing with uh, some of Russia's really dark history. Oh, yeah. There's been some dark history in Russia? You do say. And some of it's recent, too. <laughs> it's not, yeah, not breaking news exactly. But. Not breaking news exactly. But, no, I'm sure it was interesting. Uh, so, uh, welcome to the show. We really appreciate you coming by. You know, what's interesting is no one ever says in their bio that, uh, you know, they're happy. Like, no one ever says, like, he is a happy fellow <laughs> and really enjoying his life. Now, maybe people should do that just so they can, I don't know. It's yeah. it's a they can do a flex. I don't know. I'm just doing jokes. Uh, so uh, give us your dot next com. book. So, next book. <laughs> the next book. Why uh, why Nathan yep. Masters is happy? Actually, it sounds like a great title. It comes down to it. But uh, you know, you can just flex on people and just shove it in their faces. I'm happy and you're not. <laughs> Maybe that's my that's the next book. All right, Chris Voss is happy and you're not. Fuck you. Now read this book and you'll find out why. I don't know. That sounds like a, that sounds like something that's going to flop like a lead balloon. Uh, the uh, so give us Nathan your dot coms if you would, so people would find you on the interwebs. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it's not a dot com, but it's NathanMasters.me, M-E. Uh, and then I'm also on. You can find me on um, Twitter at NathanMasters or our Instagram yeah. as well. Let me yeah. check with the judges. Judges, can we accept a dot me instead of a dot com? <laughs> Ah, the answer is yes. I should have one of those things <laughs> from like a family feud that come up. Uh, so anyway, uh, this is your first book. What motivated you on to write yeah. the book Crooked? Yeah, well, so I, I've been writing a lot for, uh, you know, since for, for several decades, but I hadn't been anything in book form. And I resolved to do that around 2018. We were, as you might recall, we were in the middle of the, uh, the Trump administration. Really? And there were all of these. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seems like so long ago, but, um, I don't know. I was watching CNN all... last night. It doesn't seem that long ago. <laughs> That's right. The town hall. Town I was hall. like, what the fuck is yeah. this? It's like, it's like, uh, it's like, uh, what was that movie with, uh, Bill Murray groundhog day? I'm like, Oh yeah. Fuck, this That's... again. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, continue yeah. On, my friend. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, there were all these questions being raised, raised about, you know, how can you hold somebody who's seemingly above the law to account? Um, what role might Congress play in that? What, you know, how far does Congress's power extend in reining in um, uh, an executive that that might be uh, out of control? And and what can the executive branch do? Like, might they violate rules or or norms in in fighting back against the investigation? There are all these questions, and I found this story from that that had been really buried in in the history books from a hundred years ago. Um, you know there. The, the everybody sort of knows about uh, if they know about Warren Harding at all, they know that President Warren G. Harding is usually ranked last on the on president's uh, presidential ranking lists. You know, he's he's not very well remembered. He, he's not it's just, it, one of the worst presidents in U.S. history. Wow. Um, so I, I started going there, but then I found out that he had this, uh, you know, attorney general who was essentially his political protector his political fixer as attorney general he had been his campaign manager his name is harry doherty he had taken uh warren harding under his wing several decades before got him uh, elected lieutenant governor in ohio got him elected to the united states senate and uh eventually got him elected president against all odds because warren harding was sort of the the dark horse candidate uh yeah. in 1920 he's um, like the william barr of uh the 20s huh <laughs> yeah, uh, a, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the, the difference is that the Doherty and Harding they were they were like this. You know, they their their ties went deep. Wow. Um, 
but so so I, I came across the story of Doherty. That that was interesting. But then when I found that there was a United States senator, freshly elected to the Senate, this young idealistic guy, the original maverick in the Senate, he launched a congressional investigation into this attorney general mm-hmm. and all of the corruption that was alleged against him and and against the the Department of Justice. And then when he when the senator gets a little too close to the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, he finds himself in the legal crosshairs of the Department of Justice. I thought, there's a great story. I got to write that book. There you go. And you, you bill yeah. it as uh, as the birth of the American political scandal. Were, yeah. were there no political scandals before this, or why did you? No, not uh, at all. Point no. it as that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, of course, of course, there were. Of course, there were scandals before this. Uh, but uh, Washington chopped down that cherry tree and lied about it. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I mean, there's, 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 you know, ha- I mean, there was the Hamilton and Burr and of oh, course yeah. like the, the really contentious election in 1800 between Jefferson and Adams where uh, newspapers tossed slime at each other. But uh, yeah, so I qualified well, it in the book. Changed, Obviously, really. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. But I, I qualified in the book. My subtitle was really long enough, so I couldn't, I couldn't qualify it anymore, but yeah, the, the, I'm speaking of the birth of the, the sort of the modern, political scandal that all of America follows the the salacious gossip. Everybody's talking about it every day. It's in the newspapers. Mm -hmm. You know, you talk about it around the water cooler. It was on the radio. Then today it's on TV or in podcasts or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, This was the first time when all of America was really connected to what was happening in the nation's capital in real time because of, uh, because of innovations in journalism, uh, because of the rise of tabloids, because of the rise of radio, um, and the senator in my in my story, Burton Wheeler, exploited that. Like he wow. played he played to popular opinion. In fact, he decided ultimately that the attorney general was was had broken the law many times, but he probably could never be prosecuted in court, sent to jail. He was just he just effectively above the law. Instead, the senator tried him in the court of public opinion. That's of course that's something that that congressional investigators do have done ever since. Mm-hmm. So it kind of uh, built a foundation out for that. Um, yep. And I imagine this is, this is the age of where newspaper and, and uh, media and uh, who was the gentleman who controlled a lot of the newspapers back in the day? Uh, Hearst, William Randolph Hearst. Hearst. William Randolph yeah. Hearst. So this is the yeah. age of that too as well? It is. And this actually didn't make it into the book, but William Randolph Hearst was originally quite supportive of this investigation into the attorney general. Wow. And then... <laughs> and then the attorney general, and this was the way the, the attorney general operated. Harry Doherty got some dirt on William Randolph Hearst. I guess he had a, a Hearst had a mistress and basically got that news to Hearst. And suddenly all of the Hearst newspapers were no longer supportive of this investigation. <laughs> they didn't cover it anymore. <laughs> that's how the attorney general worked. And uh, <laughs> Wow. That's how the world worked. <laughs> and, and so he, basically they couldn't find a, a, a public jury that would probably convict him. It was that it, or it just didn't seem like anything was stickable. You know, like we had a lot of that in the Trump years where nothing would stick. I mean, I think we're still kind of going through it. Yeah. It's very similar to Trump in that, you know, Trump, well, legally, at least according to the department of justice, official policy, legally, a sitting president cannot be prosecuted, cannot be indicted. Mm. Uh, that's not the case for an attorney general, but, but you have to realize that the attorney general controls the the machinery uh, for federal prosecutions, right? He's yeah. the one who ultimately approves the indictment or can, can, can suppress an indictment or an investigation. So effectively the attorney general was above the law. Now I should point out that, that, Later on, after the events of my book, he was prosecuted. 
Um, his successors were uh, a little bit more noble than he was. They put him on trial. He had two different trials. They both ended in hung juries. Wow. Um, so he, he really never did face justice. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And then I think you cover the rise of uh, J. Edgar Hoover, right? Yeah. Hoover is, uh, is a character throughout a lot of this book here. Now in, in, the 1920s and 1923, 24, when this book takes place, he's young. He's in his 20s. Um, mm-hmm. This fresh face. He's not like the Jagger Hoover the, with the, the you know the bloated face and the the, and the dress wearing. The, no, just, <laughs> well, that. I'm not sure if that's well, yeah, true. he's not. He's not the Jagger Hoover that you imagine. Um, yeah, he's this fresh face, almost handsome young lawyer who um, was America's most famous radical hunter during mm-hmm. World War One and the years after, but. Um, he was the deputy director of the Bureau of Investigation, which later became the FBI. Yeah. And, um, I think they're calling me right now. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Dress joke. I don't know. Well, one of the ultimate ironies about this book is that, um, yeah, they have a file on everybody, Chris, (laughs) you know, I'm sure they do on me. Uh, one of the great ironies of this book is that, you know, Wheeler, Burton Wheeler, the Senator was, was trying to root out corruption in the department of justice and thought that he had accomplished that. But in the end, one of the, one of the direct consequences of investigation was that Jagger Hoover became the director of what became the FBI. Really? And would yeah. So yeah. this brought that right into it, huh? This is why Hoover ended up running the department or the, the FBI for several decades. Yeah. Wow. Hi, folks. Here's Foss here with a little station break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. We'll resume here in a second. Uh, I'd like to invite you to come to my coaching, speaking, and training courses website. You can also see our new podcast over there at chrisvossleadershipinstitute.com. Over there, you can find all the different stuff that we do for speaking engagements, if you'd like to hire me, uh, training courses that we offer, and coaching for leadership, management, entrepreneurism, uh, podcasting, corporate stuff. Uh, With over 35 years of experience in business and running companies as CEO, uh, I think I can offer a wonderful breadth of information information and knowledge to you or anyone that you want to invite me to for your company. Thanks for tuning in. We certainly appreciate you listening to the show and be sure to check out chrisvossleadershipinstitute.com. Now back to the show. It's interesting to me how all these things tie together and one, one thing behooves the, the other and, and the, the cause and effect of, of all sorts of interesting things. And sometimes the, the result is not better. Maybe, I don't know. You can look at the long, run of hoover and trying to decide good bad and evil uh, that's probably another book <laughs> it, it, it is actually somebody just wrote that beverly gage it's an excellent oh, uh, wow. uh from what i hear i actually haven't read it myself but not yet but uh it's an excellent uh biography of, of jagger hoover but oh. you know you're right you're right that people are complicated so hoover um he succeeded a man named billy burns who was at the time um America's most famous detective. Um, he was called America's Sherlock Holmes by Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, he, he, w- he was so good at solving mysteries that people thought he had supernatural abilities. But he was also really good friends with Harry Doherty and would do anything in running the Bureau of Investigation, later the FBI, in protecting Harry Doherty. So he was out. And it was it was Burns that Hoover succeeded. And, Bur- and Hoover, to his credit, when he took office, he... Um, you know, he professionalized the bureau. He um, he got rid of all of the, the sort of shady private detective types, um, including like con artists and just 
criminals who are mm -hmm. in the bureau and uh, hired a lot of lawyers and accountants mm -hmm. and, you know, made sure that everybody wore, you know, white shirt with a tie and a, and a, and a suit jacket and, um, and for a while kept the bureau out of politics. Ultimately, of course, the FBI came <laughs> to be a political force in its own right. It, you know, he he willing, Hoover willingly served presidents from FDR to Lyndon Johnson to Richard Nixon. He was really good friends with Richard Nixon. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, he held, he collected dirt on everybody and held that over them and oh, yeah. made himself virtually irreplaceable. Yeah, it was, it was interesting how that whole gameplay. So tease out to us a couple, you know, it's, it's, uh, build is packed with political intrigue, salacious scandal, which everyone kind of likes to read about, <laughs> uh, and no shortage of lessons for our political discord. Give us some tease outs from the book that, if you would. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the, one of the great characters I would just refer to shady private detectives is this man named Gaston Means, who um, was a, a con artist, uh, sort of an opportunist. He spied for Germany against America during uh, World War One, before before the U.S. entered World War One. But um, he uh, was likely. I mean, he bragged that he was uh, that he'd been accused, but never convicted of every crime in the books up to up to and including murder. Wow. Um, and this was before he was hired on to the Bureau of Investigation. Um, he was exactly, you know, he was a, um, he was excellent as a detective in, um, you know, in, in finding, in revealing, exposing secret information, the information mm -hmm. that people wanted to kept, keep hidden. Um, so he served uh, Harry Doherty and Billy Burns and the, the Bureau of Invest Investigation really well. But he uh, he's not the kind of man who would be uh, welcome in the FBI today, and, and sort of <laughs> uh, he he basically had no morals. He was a he was a psychopath um, and a con artist, and um, oh. yeah. Uh, so he he ends up becoming one of the major witnesses against Harry Doherty in these huge sensational uh, hearings mm -hmm. uh, against against the Attorney General. These were these were hearings that were followed, as I said, by everybody across the country. The, the room was packed with newspaper reporters. Um, people heard about it on the news um, and it went a long way to shocking the American public into how corrupt the, their government and especially their Department of Justice was. And ultimately, mm -hmm. it set the Department of Justice on a better path, right? Uh, mm -hmm. the Department, I mean, uh, no institution is perfect, but today the, the Department of Justice is made up of people who generally uh, uphold the rule of law and they have a, you know, they, they, they want to do the best for their country and not protect the political interests of the sitting president or mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, of, of the attorney general. Yeah. But that's, that's a lot of that's because of this investigation. There you go. And I mean, the, the pub, the court of public opinion, as you put it, uh, you know, the congressional mm -hmm. hearings and using that as a way to litigate or, or prosecute a case, um, uh, has held a lot of power over the years. I mean, we, you know, oh. the, the famous McCarthy hearings with uh, where you know this the senator says to him, you know, McCarthy, have you no? I, I can't have the quote right on exact, but uh, have you no uh, shame? Um, and you know that that would led to the downfall of the McCarthy hearings and, and exposing McCarthy for what it was. Um, sadly, now. We don't. It seems like you know one of the lessons being derived from your book is that we don't. Seems like the American public doesn't care about those so much. I mean, you see the impeachment hearings of Donald Trump and and other things, and people just don't care. I mean, they don't even watch it really. I think anymore. Yeah, there's something about uh, there's something about the way 
we're fractured politically today as a, as a country. It wasn't the case in the 1920s. There was people could agree on on basic facts that were exposed in a congressional investigation. And I mean, you see that especially with the September, I'm sorry, the, the uh, January 6th uh, investigation in the House of Representatives, where mm -hmm. they were, that, that House uh, committee was actually really took a page from Burton Wheeler's playbook and really mm -hmm. tried to make the case. Uh, and they had the, the benefit of television too. But you're right. Um, you know, they they did a, an, an admirable job, but but ultimately the country didn't really pay too much attention. Didn't really yeah. move the needle. It, it really it really was interesting. Yeah, how we're divided and we're just running on confirmation bias. And what I was writing about this morning, we're just we're just meme brains. Like I meet a lot mm. of people that they base a lot of their political knowledge on memes. Like literally, mm. it's like TikTok brain, um, mm. and. Uh, and, and so you'll talk to people and you'll be like, well, what about, you know, this, this political person did this? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Or I, I saw a meme the other day and it said this. And I'm like, you're really basing your whole Dunning-Kruger brain on memes? And <laughs> like, you know, I mean, MSNBC, I love, it's good journalism. There's, there's good people on there. But uh, sometimes it just turns into what SNL build is, as uh, impeachment porn. I mean, and, and I realized after watching MSNBC for a long time that it's just confirmation bias to people who actually give a shit and maybe follow the news every day or want to follow the news every day. But most people don't, and they don't care. They're more interested in what Kim Kardashian is fucking doing every day than with her ass, than, you know, and her clothes and whatever perfume she's wearing today. And, like, who gives a shit? Uh, then, then what's going on in their lives that impact their kitchen table politics? Yeah, it's it's interesting. The, in the 1920s, I mean, journalism was uh, actually explicitly or openly partisan. Newspapers, a newspaper would be a proudly Republican paper wow. or a proudly Democratic paper, but there was a certain amount of accountability. The, the papers would respond to each other. You know, if you go to a park, there, there <laughs> this was before social media. People would stand up literally on a soapbox and talk, and people could count could could counter right. People could 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 answer yeah. but what was happening in journalism at the time and it's still with us today is is journalism was was starting to become a, it was the term then was jazz journalism which really fits with the, the era <laughs> but <laughs> jazz journalism but journalism was becoming um there were more giant screaming headlines there were mm -hmm. photos were starting to appear in newspapers people were becoming more obsessed with you know like sex crime uh, money, you know, those were those were the big issues that drove news, that drove the the, the news cycle. And that's Senator just Fridays, Wheeler, right? Yeah, that's just Fridays crime <laughs> yeah. in my house, sex crime and money. <laughs> but, but Senator Wheeler knew, saw that that was happening, and he exploited that, and he he pointed out, I mean, he he took pleasure in dragging witnesses before his Senate committee, um, like bootleggers, like uh, you know, convicted felons, mm -hmm. uh, and showing that they were associated with the sitting Attorney General of the United States. That was a pretty effective, pr effective tactic, and it, and it really that's why his investigation resonated so well. Hmm. He was willing to play to that the, the the public's thirst for salacious details and 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 sensation. Hmm. Well, I mean, maybe maybe January sixth committee should have done that. They should have. Uh, I don't know how you get more salacious <laughs> stuff. I I got nothing. I got nothing on that lead in. Uh, so, uh, any other tease outs of the book you want to uh, touch on or or, uh, or uh, tell us about, or maybe some things that you learned when you were going through the research on the book? I mean, I learned so much. I learned you know a lot about the, the arcane details of prohibition, but more especially like how 
people got around prohibition. Mm -hmm. um, and it turns out the attorney general, <laughs> along with the attorney general was involved in that in, the, in, the, in his early years and early months in office. Um, you know, prohibition outlawed the, the sale or distribution of intoxicating liquors, but it didn't abolish property rights. And there was already a ton of whiskey and, and other spirits that had been produced in the United States. So that the, all of those, all that whiskey was sitting in a, in warehouses that were actually supervised by the treasury department or government oh, wow. bonded warehouses. Yeah. Um, and they could only, that liquor could only be withdrawn for, uh, Per, for permissible uses, which included, you know, like medicinal uses, export to foreign countries. And you had to get just a government officer to sign some form saying, oh, yeah, you can withdraw it. This is legitimate. Um, so the attorney general, attorney general got involved in brokering these signatures on the government forms uh, wow. to get to get the, the liquor, not, you know, into doctor's hands or, you know, exported to Britain, but basically <laughs> in speakeasies, you know, so <laughs> uh, America kept drinking because of, thanks to uh, Harry Doherty, attorney general, Harry Doherty. <laughs> that is crazy, man. Well, that yeah. explains a lot yeah. of what was going on in that time. And uh, a lot of things that were going on with uh, the roaring twenties. And uh, how, did you find that any, any of it was uh, helped fuel the lead up to the big crash? in uh, the great depression well i'm not sure that there's a direct connection between this obviously you know america was just sort of living this uh <laughs> collectively this hedonistic lifestyle and um <laughs> but but uh, that, that ultimately had to come to some sort of sobering conclusion and i guess you could say that was the crash but this all happened uh you know about five six years before then mm-hmm well, there you go. I mean, it, it was a crazy time. It was an interesting time. But I think it was, I think what's also interesting is how it shaped, like you say, uh, the Justice Department brought us J. Edgar Hoover. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's always interesting to me, like, the shit that America pulls in its history. Like, we try and do the right thing, and then it ends up being, you know, a Pandora's box where it opens up power corruption and and stuff uh you know and it, it leads down it starts out on the good path and it was like yay it's good path and then it goes dark you know i saw that with social media we saw that you know there's there's a lot of stuff the cia has been involved in and other things that that start out yeah. you know it's a kind of a nice idea and then you're like oh we're assassinating people around the world and you know bin laden we we funded bin laden and then he turns against us and you know, i mean <laughs> you look at you know stuff in ecuador and uh, you know, it, all around the world, all through different presidentials, uh, administrations and stuff. And it's interesting how we're, we're always trying to put our finger on the scale and do the good, right, moral thing. And, uh, and it ends up not being so moral. So it's kind of interesting how we, you know, this is why history is important. Uh, you know, if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. <laughs> well said. Well said. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so anything more you want to tease out about in the book before we go or give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs? Yeah, I guess I'll just mention one more thing. I mean, we uh, there's sort of a murder mystery wrapped up in all of this, too. The book mm -hmm. starts with uh, a mysterious death uh, or suspicious death of, of the attorney general's uh, roommate and, and probably uh, lover, a man named Jess Smith, uh, uh -huh. who was found... Uh, with a bullet uh, bullet wound to the head in the attorney general's apartment in Washington, D.C. Um, and he was, uh, you know, it's revealed that he's, it was, it was really actually no secret. It was an open secret at the time that this man was uh, essentially 
uh, Harry Doherty's go-between. He was the man who brokered Whoa. the deals. Because um, you know, Harry Doherty man. was a smart... Yeah, he was the bag man. Yeah, Harry Doherty was a smooth operator. He knew he could never be seen in the same room with uh, a bootlegger or, huh. or a convicted felon trying to get... Or, you know, somebody trying to get a pardon. Uh, but but his friend could. And, um, wow. and when he... The, the book really kicks off when this man is found dead in the attorney general's apartment and the, nobody really knows what happened. Mm, murder. You say <laughs> possibly, <laughs> possibly, <laughs> murder. uh, the, the, uh, that's interesting. And it, you know, it's, it, I mean, think of the bag man with, uh, the famous bag man with Nixon, you know, mm-hmm. all this stuff that goes on dirty politics. And, but it's important that the political or that the American public, you know, really think about this stuff and understand stuff, you know, more and more I've, I've tried to convey to, I don't know, anyone who'll listen to my idiot brain that, you know, as Americans, we need to pay attention to this stuff and we need to call it out and we need to not, you know, it, it, like I said, it was interesting to me to watch Trump's town hall, I believe it was in Ohio or Michigan last night with CNN. And it was interesting to watch CNN did an interview after of, of Trump voters. And and they just really don't give a shit about anything. Like he, like he, was, he was so correct in 2015 when he said, I could murder somebody on Fifth Avenue and no one will care. Like... Like somehow they did the polling on that, and it's true, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's part of the problem of what I talk about, like this meme sort of stuff. But you you watch, uh, you know, it was just endless corruption, day after day corruption going on in the White House during his presidential term. And no one cared. No one even paid attention. Like half the time, if you talk to a Trump voter, you go, "Well, what about that?" And they're like, oh, "I don't know much about that." When they, when it really comes down to it, you really nail them down. They don't follow anything what he does. Um. And, and which which is the great which is the great thing that you know people have been doing to steal from the poor and the average people you know billionaires rich people all, the, all these years they go look over there hey the immigrants are stealing from you well they pick your pockets and clean out your bank accounts um, and uh, so you know it's interesting how you know these scandals just keep going and going and going and no one ever learns but you know at least the Justice Department got a little bit better I think under William Barr they were they were tied up a little bit. Um, you know, I know the Southern District, uh, the Southern District of uh, New York was tied up a little bit. They couldn't do what they wanted, but uh, corruption—the the game that never ends in American politics—isn't <laughs> that right? <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, through your book and other stories, people get wiser in the American public and demand better. <laughs> the jokes just keep coming, but please, God, make it stop. Um, so thank you very much, Nathan, for coming on the show. This has been very insightful and a fun book read. Uh, give us your dot com or your dot me, I should say, so that people can find you on the interwebs. Yeah, thanks, Chris. It's uh, NathanMasters.me. There you me. go. There you go. So, Nathan, thank you very much for coming on. It's been fun. Yeah. And, so, sorry, we had some technical difficulties. But oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I think the audio is <laughs> dropping just a little bit. So, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks to be honest for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, and all those crazy places on the interwebs. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time. And that should have us out, Nathan.